Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and indeed around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and this is Rediscovering New York. Professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Halstead Real Estate, which today has become part of Brown Harris Stevens. And as most of you know, I love New York. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program about the history, texture, and vibe of our amazing cities. City, singular, excuse me, not plural. And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, local musicians and artists, and the occasional elected official whom we have tonight. On some shows, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood, exploring its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? And that's what we're going to do tonight. On some shows, we host episodes about an interesting and vital color of the city and its history that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. Prior episodes have covered topics as diverse and illuminating as American presidents who came from, lived in, or who had some interesting history here in New York, about half of them, believe it or not, the history of women activists and the women's suffrage movement here in the city. We focused on African-American history in the city, actually going back to the time of the Dutch. We've talked about the history of the city's LGBT community and the gay rights movement. Movement. We've explored the history of bicycles. We've looked at history, the history of punk and opera. There were separate shows, by the way. We've looked at our public library systems. And of course, being New York, we have not one, not two, but three public library systems. We've looked at some of our greatest train stations and even some of our bridges. After the broadcast, each show is available on podcast. You can hear us on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other services. Tonight, we're going to take a little journey uptown to not quite the northernmost tip of Manhattan, but close to it, Washington Heights. And I have two great guests this evening. Our first guest is Robert Snyder. Dr. Robert Snyder is the Manhattan Borough Historian. And he's recently Professor Emeritus of American Studies and Journalism at Rutgers University in Newark. Most recently, he's the co-author of All the Nations Under Heaven, Immigrants, Migrants, and the Making of New York. And he's also the author of Crossing Broadway, Washington Heights, and the Promise of New York. And of course, we're going to be speaking about that on tonight's show. He's a member of the New York Academy of History and in 2016 was a Fulbright lecturer in American Studies in South Korea. Dr. Snyder was appointed to the position of Manhattan Borough Historian by Borough President Gail Brewer in 2019. Robert Snyder, a healthy and hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Are you originally from the city? I was born in New York City. I was born at Royal Hospital in the Bronx in 1955. But at that time, my parents were living in Washington Heights at 554 Washington Avenue. And I spent the first year of my life then in New York City. But my parents and sued search of greener pastures for me, moved to the North Jersey suburbs in 1956. So I grew up in the suburbs listening to my parents' stories about Washington Heights and visiting lots of relatives in Inwood and the West Bronx and Yonkers. And when did you make it back to uh, our, our hearty place? I came back in 1980 to start graduate school at New York University, where I got my PhD in history. And I was thrilled to come to the city and live here. And I've pretty much been here ever since. Rob, when did you first become interested in the study of history and think that you might do it uh, as, as a profession and as a passion, of course? 
It started very early in my childhood. History always fascinated me. My parents would take us on long road trips to visit an aunt in Virginia, and we would drive past old Civil War battlefields. And I can remember you're maybe seven, 10 years old, insisting that they stop and read one more historical marker about a battle that took place in 1863. I also grew up in North Jersey and was well aware of the Revolutionary War and its impact on the history of the United States. But I didn't really get my professional orientation towards history until I went to college. And I went to a place called Livingston College. It was the experimental college. It was part of Rutgers University. And in the history department there, I picked up what was then called the new social history, history from the bottom up, history of working people, immigrants, LGBT people, women's history, African-Americans, all sorts of corners of history that hadn't been explored with the top-down approach that concentrated on presidents and kings. I loved it, and I took off with it from there. When did New York become, and New York history become a focus of, of your work? I would say when I got to graduate school, and that would have been in 1980. And in the 1980s, I worked my way around to doing a dissertation on New York City history. That became a book about vaudeville, the voice of the city, vaudeville and popular culture in New York. And at that time, New York City history was growing. It wasn't as big as you would think it was. Lots of people had written about it, but professional historians hadn't taken it up that much yet. And I am thrilled to say that in the years since then, writing about the history of New York City has become a thoroughly respectable and mainstream and exciting thing to do. And some people even say there's too much of it. And I don't, I, th I disagree with them politely. I think there's plenty of history in New York City to keep us busy. Of course, one of the great things, I'm not a historian, but one of the great things about, about uh, um, blazing new pastures is to be one of the first ones to not just make it cool, but to, but to get people really excited about, about something that hadn't been written about or reported on in the past. Exactly. And, it, and it's mystifying, too, right? If you're the first one. For me, it's ironic. The book that got me interested in writing a book about New York City at the neighborhood level was a book about Nazi Germany called Nazi Seizure of Power, The Experience of a Small Town in Germany. And it was written by a historian named William Allen. I read it my freshman year of college. And he took a huge question, how did the Nazis come to power? And he explored it through the experience of one small town. And I found that idea absolutely intoxicating. How could you take a really big subject and show how it was experienced in a small place in a really human scale? Well, not to get too much into the into the weeds in history, but one of the we we talked about the thesis that I wrote as an undergraduate, and uh, my advisor at the time, uh, Shi Wei Liang of Vassar, uh, whose actual father was uh, um, a uh, Chinese diplomat in Berlin before the war and during the war. Um, he suggested he said, "Don't just do a broad thing; pick something small, and then let it grow from there, and you know it will grow organically." And then yep. you know yep. that was that was such a great lesson. When when did you join the faculty of Rutgers? I started there in 2000. Okay. And you've just retired from Rutgers. So now you have the honorable title of Professor Emeritus and not just Professor. Yeah, I like that. It feels good. You know, one thing I have to ask you, you know, being the uh, official Manhattan Borough historian, um, was there a particular process or journey that, that led you to becoming the Borough's historian? I had seen the Borough president several times at public events and, and 
She goes to an incredible number of public events. She was at the launch of my book, Crossing Broadway, when it was held at Coogan's. And then one day she buttonholed my wife at a public event and said to her, I want to talk to your husband about becoming Manhattan Borough historian. And my wife said, well, if you give him office space so he can clear some of his books out of our apartment, I'll agree to do that. And the deal was made and the message came to me. Well, good. I did. Yeah, I know uh, uh, there. I think each county has an official historian in New York and there are 63 of them. So for you to get some prime real estate, presumably in the municipal building, that was a. Exactly. Uh, that's a great accomplishment. Exactly. Um, now it's Washington Heights. Um, you know, I always like to focus on or at least inquire about people who were here before uh, the Europeans came. Do we know much about the people who lived in what would become Washington Heights prior to the Dutch arriving in New York? Yeah, it's very interesting. In the late 19th and early 20th centuries, there was a lot of archaeology that was done to study the native peoples, the Lenape, who lived in northern Manhattan, that it was Fascinating to me because when Northern Manhattan was then on the edge of a period of great change, when it would really take on its modern form, there were historians and and archaeologists looking at who lived here and how they lived first. And they started with the Lenape and also looked at the American Revolution. The Lenape who lived here were a people who were very much accustomed to living around the Hudson River estuary. They understood how it provided a mixture of fertile farmlands, but also good fishing territory. They would move sometimes with the seasons, setting up in one area while they harvested one element of the natural bounty of the region, and then moving to another. They were here for a long, long time. A historian, Greg Dowd, made the great point that when Europeans arrived in the Hudson River Valley, There were new people entering an old world. I mean, the Lenape had been here for a long, long time, and they developed a very sophisticated way of life, taking advantage of the estuary that is here. When the Dutch first came to New York, they were initially traders, uh, but then sort of the next wave of Dutch immigrants started to farm, I think maybe in the 1630s. Would they, you know, places that they farmed uh, across uh, uh, the East River in Brooklyn because there was more fertile ground in, in, in what would become Gowanus because there were mm-hmm. there was fertile soil there. Um, did they do much farming in what would become Washington Heights? Not in Washington Heights so much, but just a little bit south in the village of Harlem, right? When you go up to that flat area in what you think of as the Harlem Flats, you know, that was area that could be cultivated. There was also some farming done right on the outskirts of New Amsterdam, often African-Americans, Africans who had either purchased or worked their way out of slavery were living there working on farms that were a kind of buffer between the little city of New Amsterdam and the rest of the island beyond. The Dutch were, like the Indians in their own way, very attuned to life along a watery area, right? Mm. How you could live in New Amsterdam but have outlying settlements in Jersey City, Governor's Island, Staten Island, further up in Harlem, beyond that in the Yonkers, and then all the way up the Hudson Valley. One of the things I love about New York history, fast forwarding about 100 years, is uh, um, a lot of people don't realize it. Some people do, but actually the biggest battle of the Revolutionary War was fought right in what would become New York City. Do you want to um, uh, tell us what happened in Washington, what would become Washington Heights during the war? We lost, in a sentence, to put it very briefly. Um, Northern Manhattan was fortified. The, The big fort 
Fort Washington was on the site of Bennett Park in Washington Heights today. There were other fortifications across the other side of what would today be thought of as Broadway on Fort George Hill. There were outlying works in what we today think of as Fort Tryon Park and outer works further south. And it seemed like a very strong location. If you think of the location of Fort Tryon Park today and Bennett Park, there are steep sloping cliffs and hills on three sides and then a long slope of what we think of now as Fort Washington Avenue heading down towards 155th Street where the southernmost part of the American lines were. But the fort was not that well built. Uh, it, it, it was too, it was big, it was crowded, it, w- it was inadequately prepared for the British assault that took place and the Americans were defeated and that drove them from Manhattan and from New York City for the rest of the war. The American troops were abused and treated badly on their way out of the fort. After the surrender, uh, the installation was renamed after a Hessian officer and Fort Tryon Park today, ironically, is named after the last royal governor of New York. So yeah, I found that kind of strange that 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 there would still be a name of a neighborhood, you know, named yeah, after. Uh, I agree. I agree. I, I was surprised to I was surprised to learn that. You know, you have Margaret Corbin Plaza up at the top of Fort Washington Avenue. That's named after an American woman who took up a post at an artillery piece after her husband was badly wounded in the fighting in the outer works of Fort Washington. But the big name on the landscape is still the name of a royal governor. Mm. And as, as look, we live in New York City, named for the Duke of York. You know, well that didn't change in New York State, <laughs> right? Well, it became a, well they could have changed it from the New York Colony to New York State, but we became a state with this with the same name. Um, I do want to spend a good amount of time, which we'll do after the break, which we're going to go to in uh, a couple of minutes. But I'd like to talk about what the area was like in the 19th century. It was it was bucolic. There were estates. What would what would become Washington Heights? What was it like in the 19th century? What's really striking in the 19th century as you head up into Washington Heights is the estates that line the ridge overlooking the Hudson River. It remains one of the most beautiful vantage points in Manhattan. If you go up to Fort Tryon Park today, which is the site of the buildings estate, and look down, and then you look up north and down south, you get why people who are living in a crowded city further south would be happy to retreat to this area in the country. There was also some agricultural land, some big institutions in Washington Heights, And there was also some farming done in the flat area up towards Inwood, too. So it was remote from the city. It it was at best a suburb of the city in in the 19th century. All that would change in the early 20th when the subway came through. Mm Uh, And one of the notable people who lived in what would become Washington Heights was John James Audubon, the naturalist. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Robert Snyder, the Borough of Manhattan's official historian. We'll be back in a moment. Thank you. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.
Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Back to Rediscovering New York and our episode this evening about Washington Heights. My first guest is the Manhattan Borough historian, Dr. Robert Snyder. Rob, I want to ask you in a little bit about your book about Washington Heights, Crossing Broadway. But I want to ask you about another book that you recently wrote. It's your newest book, All the Nations Under Heaven, Immigrants, Migrants, and the Making of New York. Was there a particular inspiration for you for writing this book? Yes. The first edition of that book was written by one of my graduate school professors, David Reimers, who's a historian of immigration. And that book came out in, I think, the late 80s, early 90s. And it became clear in the decades since then that immigration really transformed New York City and that the power of immigration to to lift the city out of its economic and social problems was really important in the city's recovery since the years of the urban crisis. We thought there was a big story to be told about immigration and the importance of immigration in the city, but also important to tell two other stories. One, the place of African-Americans in the, in, the, in the growth and changes of the city, and the importance of economic inequality in the city, because that's reached a point where it's a widespread concern. And we were both concerned that economic inequality had the potential to undermine the great achievements of the latest generation of immigrants in reviving the city. That has very much to do with um, the subject of what the second part of our interview. But how if people, if our listeners want to find out about your books and potentially order them, how can they do that? So you can find them on Amazon, to be sure. Crossing Broadway is available on Amazon and from Cornell University Press. All the Nations Under Heaven is also available on Amazon, but it can be bought direct from Columbia University Press. Oh, Great. Well, we're on the subject of immigrants. And also uh, at the end of the last segment, you mentioned that uh, the neighborhood begins to change um, with the arrival of the subway. When would the Heights begin to look like the neighborhood we see today, at least from a physical and architectural perspective? 
By the 1930s, Washington Heights and Inwood had largely taken their present form. The A train coming up from the West, right, led to a final spur of residential development. Think of those Art Deco apartments on Fort Washington Avenue and some of the big apartment complexes that are up in Inwood. So by the 30s, with the exception of some of the big Mitchell Lama buildings that you can see around the neighborhood and some of the latest construction, the neighborhood pretty much looked like it always did. It was a stage that was set for an incredible drama, which is the arrival of African-Americans from further south, Jewish refugees from Nazi Germany, and the whole swirl of population change that took place in northern Manhattan in the 60s and 70s. Like so much of New York, the Heights, well, as we colloquially know it, although if you live in Brooklyn, it's Brooklyn Heights. Um, <laughs> Washington Heights was was settled by immigrants. Who who were the first immigrants to settle here as a, as a group in the 20th century? So the earliest immigrant communities were largely Irish-American, Jewish-American, a small but important community of Greek-Americans, and also Armenians. I mean, you note that most of them are from Europe in one way or another. There was also a small number of African-Americans who tried to move up into Washington Heights out of Harlem. They made it into the southern and eastern part of the neighborhood, but there was it must be said, strong opposition to an African-American presence and realtors and local people used real estate covenants to keep people out, to keep African-Americans out of Southern Washington Heights. There were also some attempts to keep Jews out of Washington Heights as well. Neither of these efforts succeeded in, in, in keeping either Jews or African-Americans out of the neighborhood entirely, though. Well, growing up in New York, I'm, I'm from Brooklyn, um, there were two large communities that I grew up knowing were a large part of the fabric of, of the Heights. Um, one were German immigrants who moved here and Holocaust survivors, uh, the first to uh, escape Nazism before the war. Um, and also um, the Dominican community. But yep. first, I want to talk to you about the um, about the Jewish uh, immigrants who the German Jewish immigrants who settled it. Um, I didn't hear this at the time, but I heard that the Washington Heights was also known as Frankfurt on the Hudson. <laughs> Frankfurt on the Hudson. The Fourth Reich is another nickname that was applied to the neighborhood. <laughs> There, there were German Jewish immigrants in the neighborhood from the start and a large number of Eastern European Jews. But by the middle and late 1930s, the number of German Jewish immigrants who are really refugees from Nazi Germany begins to rise because by the late 30s, it's absolutely clear that Jews have no future in Nazi Germany. And it, it's, a, it's a fairly desperate flight. People are racing to get out. They're doing all sorts of things to sort of bring their families out. Sometimes it's a journey of two or three steps. People would get out of Germany and go somewhere in Central America and then come up to New York City. There's a significant number of German Jews who made it to the Dominican Republic and found refuge in Sasua and then eventually moved on, usually to the United States or Israel after World War II. But those people who came here in the late 30s um, lived a very difficult experience. They had found refuge from Nazi Germany, but were terribly concerned about what would happen to their relatives and friends behind them. And they settled into New York City. They settled into Washington Heights in German Jewish enclaves and went on to prosper and live good lives, but not without a lot of hardship. Mm. And a lot of loss of the people that they knew who were who had been killed. 
I remember vividly doing research on Crossing Broadway in which a woman described a scene in a synagogue in which at the end of the service, the rabbi would say, you know, we have somebody new from the city of so-and-so here tonight with us. I want to welcome them. And then after the service, people who came from that city would rush toward that person. Have you heard about my brother? Have you heard about my mother? Have you heard about my sister? And then usually the person had nothing good to report. And then you would see people turn around bow their heads and walk away with their shoulders bowed and their heads shaking in the absence of good news. Wow. Well, like so many New York neighborhoods, Rob, many of the children of the people who settled here initially moved on to other places. And uh, people who were different from them moved in. That also evolves the makeup and keeps the story of New York not just vibrant, but changing and you know forever evolving. Um, of course, the more recent immigrants were from the, were from the Dominican Republic. Um, where did the name Cusqueya come from? Am I pronouncing it properly? Cusqueya is the name for the indigenous name for the island of Hispaniola, which is the home of the Dominican Republic and Haiti, both. And when I was researching the book, people would sometimes call Washington Heights Cusqueya Heights. Other people use Alto Manhattan, Upper Manhattan. <laughs> I like Alto Manhattan best because it makes room for everybody in a diverse neighborhood. Well, Alta is also a Yiddish word, so it would have done true, 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 true. <laughs> well, that, you know, the second part of that. Um, so when when did Dominican immigrants start moving into Washington Heights? Dominican immigrants started moving in the 1960s, but their numbers really accelerated in the 70s and 80s. And they had a transforming impact on the neighborhood. Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who was a priest in St. Elizabeth's Parish, made a really great point to me when I was researching Crossing Broadway, which is that old Washington Heights, communities of Irish Americans, Jewish Americans, Greek Americans, got together in the 70s to begin efforts to stabilize the neighborhood at a time when the South Bronx and the Central Bronx were burning just across the Harlem River. Through all sorts of creative efforts, they worked to stabilize the housing in Washington Heights so that northern Manhattan did not burn the way the Bronx did, the way my grandmother's neighborhood in Highbridge did in the Bronx, for example, right? Mm -hmm. That safeguarded the housing. But the other great fear was population loss because plenty of neighborhoods in Manhattan were losing population. Harlem was losing population by the 1970s. And indeed, all of New York City was losing population in the 1970s. What saved Washington Heights was the combination of housing protected and the arrival of Dominican immigrants who brought new population and new energy to the neighborhood. And together, old Washington Heights and new Washington Heights saved the community from the worst possibilities of the urban crisis. But there was a uh, darker side to the history of Washington Heights, mostly in the 1980s. That's thankfully past us, um, specifically drugs and the crack epidemic. Why in, why in Washington Heights? What was it about Washington Heights, an epicenter of the drug trade, of, of murder, of, of, cartel, of a cartel that was there? Part of it was geography. If you look at the location of Washington Heights, it's at the intersection of highways and the bridge over to New Jersey. That means that customers could come down from Westchester. They could come in from further east in Connecticut, let's say. They could come up from downtown. But then dealers and people with money or drugs to move could get across the GW Bridge very quickly. I remember vividly when I patrolled with the police in 1990, there were crowds on the southeast corner of Broadway. I would say the low 160s on the east side of Broadway 
where in the middle of the night, there would just be scores of people hanging out on a street corner. Some of them were just guys who were hanging out, but there were an awful lot of drug dealers. And they embedded their trade in the fabric of the neighborhood, and they defended their turf murderously if someone threatened their control of a block or a building. And it drove the murder rate in Washington Heights to terrible levels and really left a deep strain of fear in the neighborhood that had to be overcome if the neighborhood was going to survive in good shape. And indeed it did. Um, It was a reduction in crime and put the heights on the path that led us to the place that it is right now. What, what happened that, that uh, facilitated that? A lot of things came together. I mean, as late as 1990, 1991, I did not anticipate a good future for Washington Heights. And I didn't want to write a book about it because why to write about a neighborhood my parents love if it's only going to have a happy ending. But I came back up in about 2003 and a friend in the neighborhood, Regina Gradess, said to me, you really must come up here and look around. Things have changed. There are lots of restaurants. People are using the parks. They're out on the sidewalk. There's a local newspaper that fights for the community. And she was right. I came up, I ran in Coogan's 5K, Salsa Blues and Shamrocks in 2004, and I was pleasantly surprised to see a real change in the neighborhood. Parks and sidewalks that were menacing were now welcoming and they had families in them. I had to figure out how we got from the bad place to the better place, and that's why I wrote the book. And that's the subject of Crossing Broadway. How did you come up with the name Crossing Broadway? So many authors use Broadway as part of their title. But for you, it's not about, you know, the nightlife, the theater, lights, what most people usually think of about Broadway. When I first arrived in Washington Heights as a researcher, and this would have been in 1989, I was studying Mm. the coverage of the crack epidemic in the media at the Gannett Center for Media Studies at Columbia University. I talked to a lot of people about the neighborhood and its geography and how they felt about it. And they used the most disturbing metaphors for Broadway. They said Broadway was a no man's land. Broadway was a Berlin wall, that that there was no connection between one side and the other. And I found that fascinating. I had not heard of that before. And when I talked to people, they did think in that way. Broadway, for many people, was a barrier in the neighborhood. In the early days, it was black people on the east side, white people on the west side, then Jews on the west side, Irish Americans on the east side, then Dominicans on the east side, American born on the west side, then by the 21st century, more affluent people on the west side, less affluent people on the east side. The cast of characters changed, but the boundary remained. And The striking thing about the history of Washington Heights for me was how people from many different ethnic groups, different parts of the neighborhood, found ways to work together again and again to save the neighborhood from a a bad end. Wow. So the recent history of Washington Heights is what you cover and write about in Crossing Broadway. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, a little bit more recent happenings in the neighborhood with our second guest, Um, Rob Steiner, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on Rediscovering New York. Our first guest has been the Manhattan Borough historian, Dr. Robert Steiner. Uh, You can get his book, Crossing Broadway, about Washington Heights on Amazon. We'll be back in a moment. And when we come back, we will welcome our second guest, member of the New York City Council, Mark Levine. We'll be back in a moment. Thank you. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 
at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We're back. Little delay on the unmute, but here we are. Support for Rediscovering New York comes from our sponsors. Christopher Pappas, mortgage specialist at TD Bank. To find out how Chris can help you with all your residential home mortgage needs and tailor a mortgage that's right for you, please call Chris at 203-512-3918. And support also comes from the law offices of Thomas Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-0317. Our show is about New York, its neighborhoods, its history, and the myriad textures of this amazing place that we live in. There's another great show on the air about New York and specifically about the business of real estate. Good Morning New York with Vince Rocco, my friend and colleague at Halsted and now Brown Harris Stevens. Vince's show airs live on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. on voiceamerica.com and also on podcast. You can like this show on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle's there at Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on a mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One of the note before we get to our second guest, even though Rediscovering New York is not a show about real estate, when I'm not on the air, I'm indeed a real estate agent in our amazing city, where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, or within New York, I would love to help you with all those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761. Well, we have a special guest on the second segment for Washington Heights. That's Mark Levine. He's a member of the New York City Council, and he represents the 7th District in Upper Manhattan, which includes part of Washington Heights. 
Councilmember Levine serves as the chair of the council's committee on health and is a member of the Progressive Caucus. He's a leader on many issues, including housing, transportation, education, economic justice, and the environment. Levine has been a lifelong advocate for addressing inequality in New York City and just last year declared victory in his fight to get legal representation for low-income tenants facing eviction. Passing the landmark right to council legislation, the first of its kind in the United States. As parks chair, he also successfully fought for greater equity for parks in New York's low and moderate income neighborhoods. Mark began his career as a bilingual math and science teacher at junior high school 149 in the South Bronx. He went on to found the Neighborhood Trust Federal Credit Union, which helps low-income families in Upper Manhattan gain access to financial services, including more than $15 million in microloans. Mark was elected as a Democratic district leader in 2007. He also founded the Barack Obama Democratic Club of Upper Manhattan, a diverse grassroots organization focused on progressive activism and political reform. Mark served as chair of the Traffic and Transportation Committee on Manhattan's Community Board 12, where he called for improved subway and bus service and championed the cause of making streets safer for cyclists, a very important cause given the people who get hurt, including, sadly, an assistant district attorney today who was killed in Brooklyn. Mark graduated from Haverford College with a BA in physics. He received a master's degree in public policy from Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. Mark resides with his wife and their two sons in Washington Heights, and he speaks Spanish and Hebrew. Mark, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you so much, Jeff. This has been a wonderful discussion so far. Um, anyone who hasn't read Crossing Broadway really should pick up a copy, not just because of your interest in Washington Heights, but it tells a really important story about how a multi-ethnic, multi-racial community can overcome so many challenges to, uh, to come together. Um, I highly recommend the book. And happy to be here with both of you. Oh, great. Well, and like maybe I can even get Rob to uh, inscribe my copy for me. Um, Mark, you're not a native York, uh, New Yorker. You grew up a couple of hundred miles south of New York, didn't you? <laughs> That's right. I grew up in Columbia, Maryland. Uh, came to New York to be a science teacher after college. And I've been in Washington Heights for 25 years now. Uh, still a resident of Washington Heights on uh, Fort Washington Avenue in the southern part of the community, which I now represent the city council and uh our kids were born here and uh we we, we very much uh feel deeply rooted in this incredible community how did you get your first teaching job in the south bronx that's sort of you know coming from columbia maryland which is probably as uh you know uh, uh suburban middle class american as you can get outside of dc and coming to the south bronx For, furthermore there was um because of budget challenges there were very very little hiring in the public schools in the early 90s and there were, there were only two categories they were bringing in the year I came, which is people who spoke Spanish and, pe- and or people who had a math science background. And uh, lucky for me, I checked off both boxes and uh, landed at a junior high school in the South Bronx, uh, which was probably about the best education I ever got. Really an incredible experience, which set me on a career of community work. Well, you're fluent in Spanish, and you also speak Hebrew. I got to ask you, I speak a little bit of Hebrew. I, I learned it in elementary school, uh, and as I like to say, I was taught by good first-generation Israeli Labor Party types. That was back in the <laughs> 60s. Um, how did you learn Hebrew? What was, uh, when did you learn it? Uh, I, I'm uh, in love with the language. Uh, it's a big part of my identity as a Jew, and I have family in Israel who I forced to speak to me only in Hebrew, and a, been able to to, uh, to visit there many times, uh, and I'm something of, of of a language geek. It's uh, 
some people do crossword puzzles in their in their free time and for me, I, I study languages, which, by the way, in politics is uh, extremely helpful. <laughs> yes, especially in the district you're in, speaking yes. Spanish. Um, how long after you started teaching did you start becoming engaged with community activism and community empowerment efforts? Teaching really launched me into this work. Um, so many of my students and their families had just no connection to the formal financial system. And so I worked, started working with a group of fellow teachers, um, many of whom were in Washington Heights, uh, including uh, my then best friend and still very, very dear friend, uh, Luis de los Santos, who was a teacher here in the neighborhood. And we started a nonprofit to help low-income families, immigrant families connect to the financial system. And we started the Community Credit Union uh, here in Washington Heights, still going strong. It's called Neighborhood Trust. Federal Credit Union. Uh, we launched it out of uh, an abandoned bank branch in the bus terminal on Fort Washington Avenue and 179th. And now it eventually moved a few blocks away. It's now on 166th Street and St. Nicholas Avenue. And that eventually got me into politics. And, and here we are today. Mark, was there a defining moment when was something particularly happened and you said, I have to see that, that this credit union is born or was it, was it a series and succession of experiences and events that led you to. Well, my, my students and their families, um, when they relied on check cashing stores and pawn shop shops and loan sharks and rent to own stores uh, instead of banks and credit cards and mortgages, uh, just profoundly unfair and, just a massive obstacle to get ahead in life. And um, when we started working in Washington Heights, we did surveys and majority of, of the low-income families, I think we surveyed over a thousand families, uh, did not have bank accounts, just to give one simple fact. Wow. Um, commonly, that meant they had to keep cash at home and uh, all the problems with that. Um, very intense loan shark uh, industry, really, prestamistas, known commonly as prestamistas, prestamistas in Washington Heights, uh, with interest rates of 5 and 10% a week with a threat of violence if you don't repay. And so uh, people trying to start opening bodegas on prestamista loans, just a huge barrier. And um, we really wanted to get people an alternative, a credit union, which is a cooperative owned by the members, we quickly grew to 5,000 members, and as of today, I think it's made close to $30 million in small loans. Uh, 98% repayment rate, by the way, which is a huge testament to Washington Heights. That's great. When did you first decide to to run f for office, and was it for district leader? Uh, no, actually, uh, I did everything backwards. I first ran... And then later joined the Democratic Club and joined my community board and uh, became a district leader. But I actually ran for the first time in 2001 uh, as a total novice, as I just mentioned, uh, out of utter frustration with first with the city's uh, failures in the school system. Uh, and secondly, with what I felt was city's failure to really understand and do anything about community economic development. And uh, I still believe really deeply in the nonprofit sector, but I just felt like you need policy change ultimately. And 2001 was the first time we ever had term limits hit in New York City. And 
we'd had a, a legendary council member representing us who, who Rob knows well, a guy by the name of Stanley Michaels, uh, who had served the community for 24 years. And so he was uh, stepping out of the seat, open seat, and uh, I threw my hat in the ring. It was a crazy 10-way race. I ended up coming a close second and uh, got the bug and uh, eventually uh, broke, broke through in 2013 and have been pleased to represent the district ever since. And you have a, a, a position of such important leadership on the council. You're the chair of the Committee on Health. Um, you know, talking about a, getting into uh, a bigger role than you thought, you yeah. took on the role of uh, of the chair of the of the of the health committee before before COVID. You know, rediscovering New York is is not a program about public policy and government. But but since I have you as my captive guest right now, I want to ask you. You know, what have been some of a, a few of the responsibilities that you were tasked with unexpectedly that you know completely hit you out of left field? Well. Okay, I, I wanted to chair the health committee to deal with uh, inequity in health. Uh, at the, and I expected that that the kind of crisis that we would deal with would be maybe like a Legionnaire's outbreak or uh, you know, spraying for West Nile virus or something like that. I didn't anticipate um, serving as health care during a pandemic. And um, it's been um, uh, an experience unlike any other in my life over, over the last six months. Um, and I have felt that my, my, my mission has been to fight for science, uh, at a time when that, that perspective has been, uh, under threat nationally and even here in New York at times. And, uh, um, I feel like that perspective has been vindicated as scientists told us what would happen and were right and have told us what we needed to do. And when we didn't do it, the situation got worse. And that fight's not over. Um, and I've also felt like my role has been to force the perspective of places like Washington Heights onto the agenda, um, which have just paid a brutal price for um, decades of public policy, which, is, which left this community really vulnerable to this pandemic. And so much about this neighborhood has... Um, led to higher death rates and um, more difficult economic blow. And that's still true today. And so it's uh, what I'm still fighting for. The communities of color have been hit especially hard, um, sadly. Uh, well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Council Member Mark Levine from Washington Heights. We'll be back in a moment. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Are you a curious person, always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So now you know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? 
I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. TalkingAlternative.com back to Rediscovering New York and our episode on Washington Heights. My second guest is Council Member Mark Levine, who represents the 7th District, which includes the southern part of Washington Heights. And I want to get to asking you about your neighborhood in a minute. But for those people who know me, I really am a political junkie. And I want to ask you another question or two. You're a member of the Progressive Caucus. Um, you want to talk about the Progressive Caucus uh, for, for a minute and, and what you do and, and the role that it's played in, in impacting policy in the city? Well, it's a, it's a group of about 20 members who I think, perhaps more now, who who put economic justice, racial justice, uh, social justice at, at the front of, of everything we do. And it's created a forum for producing policy built on those values, which can quickly gain momentum when you have 20 people who can immediately jump on to sponsor each other's bills, who can brief each other on on emerging policy issues and legislation. And uh, I think it's played an important role in the council for uh, certainly both both the terms I've uh, been in the body and, and uh, I'm hoping it'll be an important force as we uh, uh, face the greatest challenge the city's encountered in generations and I think also have an opportunity to come back as a city which is um, more fair, which confronts inequality and racial injustice. And um, though we might not come back as the same city, uh, I think we could come back as, as a stronger city for those reasons. Mm. Well, that brings us to the Heights, to Washington Heights. Um, you and your family have lived there for a long time. Describe the vibe of the neighborhood. What do you like about it? It is just absolutely alive with energy uh, on the street, in the stores, uh, the music mu- music wafting uh, out of apartments. And it is, um, uh, the diversity is just electrifying for me. Um, Southern Washington Heights um, has changed a lot less than um, other parts of the community since the times in the 90s that Rob spoke about earlier. Um, it's, it's In some ways, it hasn't changed a lot, even in this pandemic. Um, and obviously, the stores are struggling, but uh, so many immediately have moved to, out, moved to outdoor dining. But this is, from what I can tell, very few have left. Uh, I don't think there's been any drop in population. And the street life is, if anything, even more vibrant. Um 
uh, particularly o- over the summer where people are living outside uh, for health reasons uh, to the point where there is some conflict because of, of, of amplified music on the street and people who live nearby. Um, but, uh, I mean, Dominican Spanish is heard everywhere. Uh, and uh, the, the music and, and the, the smells of, of, of the Dominican Republic are, are ever-present. Um, very few chains, uh, very, very few um, even fast food establishments. It's, it's a place which is, whose soul is small businesses and uh, bodegas, and restaurants which have been here for 20, 30, 40 years. Um, I'm getting hungry uh, just hearing I've eaten in yeah, some of the restaurants. Come, I'm come, up, come uptown. Come uptown. But look, I, I, I won't... I live uptown. I live, I live on 130th Street. So, but oh, you, you live further uptown than I do. Well, we, r- relative, relative to the heights, I guess uh, that's downtown. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I don't want to minimize the challenges of the neighborhood. I don't want to gloss over that. From a small business perspective, we've lost a heartbreaking number of small businesses prior to the pandemic. I'm talking about, I mean, I fear we'll lose many more now, but um, because of rising rents and the other challenges in running a small business, we've lost some really beloved restaurants and other small businesses here. It's been terrible. And, um, and we've lost residents uh, who have faced unscrupulous landlords who have pushed people out. Um, I mean, that, that has been, uh, just, just an absolute horrible battle that we've been waging. The the reason why I have worked for the last, uh, seven years on right to counsel is because, uh, we've had tenants for decades in this neighborhood who have faced eviction and gone to housing court and haven't had an attorney and that, that battle is ongoing. So real challenges here, but through it all remains a very vibrant and, and uh, place, a diverse, uh, wonderful mix of community, of cultures here that I encourage everyone to come and visit. Is there anything in what, you've lived in the Heights for 15 years, maybe? Uh, something 25, like that. yeah. 25, sorry. Oops, sorry. I, I, I undercounted that by 10. Okay. Um, is there anything that, uh, that you wish was in the neighborhood that was not, Mark? Anything you'd like to see that, that, from a business perspective, from um, from any services that aren't there right now, that also might give someone re- listening to the program thinking, oh, maybe it's a good time for me to think about providing that in the community. You mean from a, from a retail perspective, or anything anything that would uh, be you know that would that would provide something that's not there now? It could be retail, it could be could be community service, it could be could be anything. Sure, um, I mean we we have. We've lost so much. Uh, we've lost shoe repairs. Uh, we've lost flower shops. Uh, none, none of which live. None, none of which are currently operating in this part of Washington Heights. Um, it's always been harder to get uh, fresh, organic, healthy produce here. Although um, we've had a couple new uh, supermarkets open, believe it or not, in the last couple of years. Uh, which which has helped on that front. Um, uh, you know, I don't know what the landscape is going to look like post COVID. Uh, I don't know how many of the restaurants will survive. 
Um, I'm really worried about that. But uh, I fear there's going to be a lot of vacant storefronts. And uh, as I mentioned, this we didn't have the chainification that, that we saw in other neighborhoods. And um, I think there's still a real appetite for uh, mom and pop restaurants and bars. And uh, uh, I, I hope that entrepreneurs will come into this neighborhood and take advantage of small rents. I hope that people from this neighborhood can uh, take advantage of lower rents and um, we'll see a new generation of businesses. If there's, if there's any upside in this hellscape of this pandemic, it's that we could see a renaissance of affordability, both in residential and retail. And that does give me hope that this will remain a community where uh people of all walks of life can continue to afford to start businesses and live. I thought the same thing being in real estate that, you know, similarly to after September 11th, there'll be, um, you know, rents will go down on some level, retail rents, especially. And there may be new people with new ideas and new businesses who decide, you know, the time is right for them to uh, uh, open their business and, you know, make their claim. Yeah. Um, we have about a minute left. I want to ask you one other question. Um, when I have a business owner on this segment, I asked them if they have plans to open another business in the neighborhood that we're talking about. It's a little bit different with you <laughs> since uh, you're subject to the council's term limits and uh, it's not like you can create a new council position in, in Washington Heights. Um, you're looking to a larger horizon with your candidacy to succeed our wonderful borough president. She's yes. also a wonderful borough president, Gail Brewer. Um, what had you decided to run for, for borough president? Well, I start. I start, I launched my campaign prior to COVID, but that, of course, changed everything. And I feel like the future of the borough is on the line right now. Um, and this is a moment of extraordinary crisis. Uh, and how we respond is going to determine what kind of city we're going to be. And uh, so, I'm putting forward a platform uh, that values public space and open space. Uh, values uh, affordability, true affordable housing and tenants' rights, uh, values mom-and-pop businesses, which gives our community a soul, and uh, wants to see us come back economically and prosper, but do it in a way that is inclusive, shared prosperity. It doesn't just go to people at the top, but that people at all economic levels uh, benefit from. And if we had more time, I can talk to you about talk to you about how I think that needs to we need to accomplish that. But it's going to be challenging. This is not going to be an easy couple of years for New York. I don't want to minimize that, but I believe with every fiber of my being that we're going to come back. And I've been doing a lot of rereading of history uh, books and 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 during the crisis since I've been home, I'm actually rereading Gotham right now. And you just see again and again that through crisis, through fire and epidemics and great blizzards that um, we come back in a way that makes us better. So, you know, after the fire we built of, of, of 1835, uh, we built the Croton Aqueduct. And after the great blizzard of 1888, we sunk uh, telephone lines or, or telegraph lines and built an underground subway. And after the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory uh, fire, we had much greater workplace safety protections and a strengthened labor movement. And I'm confident we're going to come back in stronger ways that the public health imperative and the economic imperatives that emerge out of this horrible crisis will ensure that we come back stronger 
I think, more equitable and, and healthier. And that's my mission in running to be the next Manhattan Borough President, to succeed the legendary and amazing Gail Brewer, who had the wisdom to appoint Rob Snyder <laughs> as our borough historian. That's going to go down as one of the great pieces of her legacy, I have no doubt. <laughs> Me as well. Well, all worthy goals, Mark. Um, glad to have you as a dedicated public service. And thank you. And thank you for your leadership and your work. And wish you the best of success in your campaign. Thank you, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. Our second guest on this episode of Washington on Washington Heights has been Councilmember Mark Levine. Mark represents the 7th District, which includes the southern part of Washington Heights. If you have comments or questions about the show, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Chris Pappas, Mortgage Banker at TD Bank, on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off, I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Brown Harris Stevens in New York City. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. To help you with your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer this evening is the amazing Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Are you a curious person always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So now you know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative.
you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.